empire. Because the Jewish understanding and the cultural understanding at the time of a king was someone with absolute authority. Someone who, when they said jump, you said how high, that sort of thing. And so this is the image of a king that the people had in their heads. That they wanted a king who was going to come, who was going to defeat the oppressor, and everything was going to be all right. Of course, this was also the time where they were celebrating the Passover. They were celebrating the Passover, one of the, or probably the most defining story of the Jewish people, of the Israelites. And of course, the Passover, if you remember, was when uh, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, were freed from slavery and oppression in Egypt. So they had the understanding, um, and it wasn't by accident that Jesus chose to do this at Passover. All of this was planned and intentional. It wasn't just some random thing that happened. Jesus had planned this. He'd even planned what was going to happen in terms of him finding a, a colt to ride on. So Jesus knew that this was Passover. He wanted there to be the resonance of, of being set free, uh, set free from slavery. But of course, he came set people free from not the slavery of oppression in Egypt, but the slavery of sin, the slavery of our rebellion against God. That's what he came to do. So it was Passover, Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. And um, again, we need to ask ourselves, what sort of king is this? What sort of king is this? And to help us, we're going to think about um, different objects along the way. We're going to look at um, different ways in which this dramatic act helps us to see who Jesus is. So first of all, we have the cult. And as the text tells us, a cult is the foal of a donkey. That's all a cult means. It's the foal of a donkey. And in one of the prophecies in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah says this, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is a deliberate and planned act on Jesus' part. This wasn't just a random thing that people look back on and say, oh yeah, he's riding on a donkey. Oh yeah, we heard about that in Zechariah. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was proclaiming to the people, this is the sort of king that I am. I'm a lowly king. I don't come on a big stallion, on a war horse. I come on a colt. Can you just imagine for a moment um, Queen Elizabeth um, riding on a donkey? Mm -hmm. We would think it was nuts. We're used to seeing on a beautifully prepared horse, a beautifully bred horse, beautifully cleaned and turned out horse with pomp and ceremony. So I want you to notice the contrasts here between the sort of king Jesus is and our understanding what a king or a queen, what royalty is. The people would have, you know, would have picked that up they would have realized that this is what he was doing. Because unlike us, often, these, many of the Jewish folk would have known their Bible pretty well, the Old Testament scriptures, because they were an oral culture. A lot of people couldn't read. And so they would memorize scripture. They would memorize um, the Bible, the Old Testament, as we now call it. 
So they would, a lot of the people in the crowd would, would recognize what was going on here. They might not recognize the full implications, but they would recognize this. And of course, many people, I mean the disciples particularly, already believed that Jesus was king. But again, we see, don't we, throughout the events of Holy Weeks, that they don't, they don't quite get it. They don't quite get the sort of king that Jesus was. What he was trying to say to them by riding on a colt was that Jesus and his kingdom is not about power, but it's about service, humility, sacrifice. One of the commentators on this passage says that later in the week, the throne of this king will be the cross. The throne of this king will be the cross. It's the blood that Jesus shed. It's his broken body that will actually bring restoration, will bring release from slavery. Not a military victory. Not might and power. Salvation won't come through war, but it will come through just the death of one man. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And his enemies would be defeated, not by the sword, but by his humble, sacrificial death upon a cross. So Jesus was not a political liberator. He was not a magician. He was not just a prophet. He was a suffering servant who died to deal with our sin through the blood of his death. And then the second thing, so we've talked about the cult. The second thing you'll see on that picture, there's a rather colourful spotty one there, a cloak that was laid down in front of the people. And again, um, we see this in verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And again, highly symbolic. Coats on the ground, cloaks on the ground were a sign of loyalty to royalty. Loyalty to royalty. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, if we read 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, when Jehu was anointed king of Israel, we read this. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. Do you see? Again, these cloaks are a very clear indication of what Jesus was doing and what the people expected. But again, what sort of king were they expecting? And of course, cloaks were precious. Cloaks were precious at that time. You know, people would have their undergarments and they may have one or two items of clothing, but they'd probably only have one cloak. One cloak that they would maybe sleep under. Um, one cloak to keep them warm. There's a bit of a joke in my household. Um, I quite like coats. And I've got a coat for every occasion, haven't I, Devs? Um, and sometimes if we go for a walk, you know, go for a hike, particularly if we do a sort of serious walk up Snowden or something, I'll probably take about five different coats with me, just so I've got, you know, my options covered. Um, I like coats. But most people in this day would only have one. They would have one cloak. It was precious. And maybe we can think about, you know, what is it that we spread before God? What is it that we spread before Jesus that's precious to us? You know, would we be, you know, you might be thinking, why would I put my, my nice Gore-Tex coat in front of, you know, a, a donkey? It's going to get ruined. What do we give to the Lord that's precious? Or do we, and again, you know I'm preaching this to myself and not just to you. What do we 
you know, what do we really sacrifice? What do we really give to Jesus that really costs us something? That it isn't just one of the spare coats that I happen to have. What do we give to Jesus? What is it that's precious to us that we will give to him in terms of our time, in terms of our resources, in terms of our devotion, our actual intentional desire to follow him? You know, you've heard me talk about this a lot, about our discipleship doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about our following of Jesus. So the cloaks on the ground signified that this was indeed a king riding into Jerusalem. And then the third thing I want to think about is the voices, the voices of the people. And they proclaim that Jesus is king. But did you notice in verse 37 that it says that they brought their praises um, because of the miracles that they had seen. Isn't that interesting? That often, again, I know this is true for me, often we praise God not because of who he is, but because of what, what he's done for us. And that's not a bad thing. It's good to praise God for what he's done for us. Absolutely. I'd encourage you to do it every day. It's a really good thing to do, to thank God for the many blessings that, he, uh, that we have in our lives. But actually it was interesting that that was what they were interested in, not who Jesus is and what he called them to do, but what he could do for them. And it's quite a subtle thing, but it's important to recognize that in our following of Jesus, he simply wants us to be with him, to be obedient to him, to follow him. And yes, he will bless us because of that. But that our primary motivation for following Jesus should not be because of what we get out of it, because of what he can give us, but because actually he is the king. And actually, it's not a very popular way to put it, but he demands our allegiance. He demands our obedience. And sometimes we're a little bit fuzzy about obedience. It's not something we like, or we only like it when it suits us. But actually, if we're to be full-on, sold-out disciples of Jesus, he calls us to be obedient. He calls us to give our cloak, to give all that we have to him. And actually, to be prepared to sacrifice whatever he calls us to sacrifice. And that flies against our you know, materialistic com- culture, which is all about comfort security again those things are not bad but they can become gods they can become idols when actually what we really seek in our lives is comfort security don't want the rope, don't want to have too much difficulty we really need to ask the lord what it is he's calling us to give to him well we know what he calls us he calls us to give our lives What does that mean for us? So, the people raised their voices. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That second bit's really interesting. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Does that remind anyone of anything? Who else might have said that towards the beginning of Jesus' life? Mm. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The angels, absolutely. When we read scripture... We need to recognize that every single word is not there by accident. It is God-inspired through 
the agency of human beings, which just blows my mind, actually, that the Bible is just so coherent, yet it's written by all these completely different people. We're meant to think of the angels announcing the birth, that this baby was to bring peace on earth. But as we also know, the angel uh, told Mary that her soul would be pierced because there would also be pain and suffering along the way. Let's have a bit of fun. So if we could have the next slide. I want you to um, look at these lyrics, misheard lyrics. If it doesn't work, it's fine. Okay, so misheard lyrics. There we go. So... Excuse me while I kiss this guy. What should that be, Ian? Oh, anyone? Anyone know the answer? Kiss the sky. Sorry? Excuse me while I kiss, this, kiss the sky. And who did that? Jimi Hendrix. Come on, guys. Come on. Where's your musical knowledge here? Strawberry Fields for Trevor. What should it be? And that's by... Elliot, the Beatles, they're a really ba- good band. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. In, he does know who the Beatles are now, but I had to tell him. Um, she's got a chicken to hide. <laughs> she's got a ticket to ride, again, by the Beatles. Uh, okay. I can, see, I, I can see Claire. Now Lorraine has gone. <laughs> okay, excellent. Who was that by? Oh, Jimmy Cliff, we've got some good music fans here. Um, what about this one? The ants are my friends, they're blowing in the wind. <laughs> the ants are my friend, he's blowing in the wind by Bob Dylan. Excellent. Uh, okay, and this is, this is quite a good one. Just got to staple the vicar. This is a bit trickier. This is a bit trickier, this one. I'll give you a clue. It's by Sister Sledge. Oh, who? Um, we are family. We are family. It should be um, just got a state for the record. That's what it should be. No. Okay. I just put that one in there because, you know, about Vickers. Um, and you come to me in a sub- oh, on a submarine. Thank you. You come to me on a summer's breeze, which is by people with very high voices. The BDs. Thank you. Uh, okay, we're nearly there. We've built this city on sausage rolls. <laughs> Anyone know that? We built this city on? By Jefferson Starship. That lovely... He's really showing his age. Band. Um, okay, here about, what about this one? A year has passed since I broke my nose. Yeah, a year has passed. Thank you, Rob. A year has passed since I wrote this note by... This, the police, yeah. Got to get this right. Excellent. <laughs> Message in a bottle, thank you. Message in a bottle. A year has passed since I wrote this note. So why did I put those up there? Because it is so easy for us to misunderstand. So easy for us to misunderstand. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, and I find it very tempting to put myself on the side of the people who got it. When I read scripture, I think, oh, those mm. stupid Pharisees, you know. They were so daft. And those disciples are so thick. Um, And then I sort of think, hmm, hold on. That's what Scripture does. It should hold a mirror up to us. And we should say, actually, yes, there are times when I read Scripture 
when I've heard the promises God has made in my life, but I either choose to misunderstand or I do misunderstand because I don't actually take time to really think about what God is saying to me. So as Jesus continues towards Jerusalem, we hear the crowd singing part of this psalm. It's Psalm 118. And this is a psalm that the pilgrims sang on their way to Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now what's interesting that Luke changes it in, in Psalm. It's in the Psalm 118. It said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Anyone spot what it says here? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Luke is making the point very clear that this is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a song of victory, a hymn of praise to the God who defeats his enemies and establishes his kingdom. But again, it's a different sort of kingdom. A different sort of kingdom. So, a bit like us listening to lyrics that we don't understand sometimes, the crowd here in Luke say these words, but they don't fully understand what they are saying. They don't know that the way of this king, the way of King Jesus, was the way of the cross, not the way of military victory and might. I'm asked you to think about opposites and contrasts. So let's just think about some of those. The people wanted to be saved from the Romans, from Roman occupation, but Jesus came to save them from their sin. They wanted a king who would lead them to military victory, but he was a humble king who did not lift a finger, even when he was beaten, even when he was mocked. He came to bring peace, not a sword. And so for many people, the words that they shouted out they misunderstood. And what about us? Do we sometimes misunderstand? Do we misunderstand that actually Christianity isn't about, it isn't a faith of comfort, but it is a faith of fruitfulness. And sometimes that fruitfulness comes, well we know that fruitfulness, as John talks about, records Jesus saying that fruitfulness comes from pruning. We can only bear fruit fully if we allow God to prune us. And pruning is generally quite painful. But he does it so that we can be even more fruitful. What it says in John's Gospel, actually, what Jesus says is that the fruitful branches are pruned so they can be even more fruitful. So this isn't about, this isn't about punishment. And often, you know, when bad stuff happens to us, when difficulties arise in our life, you know, we can mishear the lyrics because we think that God's punishing us. We think that God's judging us. And actually, sometimes these things happen and we don't really know why. The, bigger, the big answer is, is that because the kingdom of God, although Jesus inaugurated it, he began it, it isn't fully realized until Jesus comes again. And so we live in this fallen world. We live in a broken world that is, is, a, is yet to be healed fully and we see the kingdom of God breaking in praise God when we do when we see healing when we see restoration when we see release from brokenness when we see people set free from their sin and addictions we see that all the time 
but yet we live in a broken world. And Jesus doesn't promise us an easy path through the brokenness. What he actually says is, take up your cross and follow me. Are we prepared to do that? Or would we prefer faith that's just quite nice and comfortable and we come to church on a Sunday and you know, we're nice to people, we don't kick the cat um, too often, and um, we're nice people. How many times do you come across people and do we say to ourselves, well, you know, I'm a good person. And people think that's what being a Christian means. To be honest, often Christians are those who realize how far away they are from being a good person. I certainly know that. How much we need a savior. How much we need a king who brings salvation through death and resurrection. And then the final object are the rocks. The rocks. The religious leaders wanted to silence Jesus. They wanted to calm the crowds down. This was, you know, this was a bit embarrassing, to be honest. Um, all this fuss about this yet another prophet. Some of the facts, this is what it says in verse 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus has got an awesome sense of humor and of irony. Basically what he's saying is, you know, you people, you don't see what's in front of you. But actually, the very stones on which this city is built get it better than you do. If you don't cry out, uh, to me, they will. But yet we also know that, that actually we are called living stones. We are called living stones. Jesus is the cornerstone, which is also actually from Psalm 118. And what we need to bear in mind is that Jesus was a revolutionary. That's why they hated him. Because he upset the status quo. And again, if you're not prepared for Jesus to upset the status quo of your life, then you've got to answer, think about whether that's really being a radical disciple of Jesus. Because it is radical, this faith that we're called to. Jesus came to bring a revolution of love, of humility, of self-giving, of peace. Which, do we not need that in our world? Wow, do we need it. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be reconcilers. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So, some questions. Do we simply want Jesus to fill some of our hopes and desires? Is that what we think he's about? Are we ready to sing songs of praise, but only if Jesus does what we want? Or are we prepared to surrender ourselves to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace? He's a suffering servant. He walks with us in our suffering. Doesn't always spare us from it. But he also offers us wonderful freedom. Salvation. I'm just going to end with a story. There's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. And the villagers 
uh, learned that a king was going to come and pay them a visit. And the king hadn't visited them for like a thousand years or something. Um, and this village was really famous for wine. So they thought, I know what we can do. We can give a wonderful gift of wine to the king. So what they agreed to do is they had a big vat set up in the town square. And every citizen uh, would bring a, a cup of wine and place it in the vat. So that when uh, the king arrived, he could take a sip of this wonderful wine that they had produced. So the day before the king's arrival uh, came, they lined up to make their offering to this honoured guest. And they climbed a small stairway and they poured their gift into the vat. The king was escorted to the square. He was given a silver cup and he was told to draw some wine, which was going to be the best wine he had ever tasted. So he goes up to the the tap, puts his silver goblet under there, turns it on. It's water. Because everybody had thought, wow, I can just water it down a bit. I don't want to give my, too much of my best wine away to the king. I'll water it down a bit. And other people, will, they'll put their wine in, so, you know, it'll be fine. What about us? Do we just give out a watered-down version of who we are? Do we give our full selves to Jesus? Are we prepared to walk the way of the cross with him? Are we prepared to walk with him through Holy Week? Because we need to face the agony of the garden as well as embracing the triumph of, the, of, of Resurrection Day. It's both and. We're called to follow a suffering servant, but we're also called to follow a triumphant God. The one who has defeated death and sin. Who has been raised to new life. It's both and. So don't let, I don't want you to go away thinking, my goodness, you know, Christianity, wow, it's all pretty heavy and gloomy. No. We, are, we praise a resurrected saviour who came to set us free from sin and death. And that ultimate salvation will come when we die. When we are set free from the sufferings of this world. We need to have an eternal perspective and not just be too narrowly focused on the here and now and what we can get and our comfort here and now. I could say a lot more, but I hope that leaves you with some thoughts about what it might be that God is saying to us on this Palm Sunday. Amen.